Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. So tonight, I, I, want, to, I want to speak on the sevenfold reality of the supernatural. Sevenfold reality of the supernatural. I'm not going to read a lengthy portion of scripture, but I'm going to make reference to it. If you're taking notes, if you have something to write with and something to write on, we're going to put the scripture references on the screen just now. Uh, the guys are going to do that for me. And I, I want you to know I'm going to reference all of these. There will be portions of scripture. They're all from two Kings. So two Kings chapter five, verses one through 27. Two Kings chapter six, eight through 23. Chapter seven, verses one and two. And chapter eight, seven through 15. I urge you to write those down. Let me just go through them one more time. Two Kings chapter five, one through 27. Six, eight through 23, seven, verses one and two. And chapter 8, verses 7 through 15, I urge you to sit down sometime and really read all of those chapters, not during my sermon, on your own time. But I, I want to make reference to all of them. This is a cluster of supernatural stories that give us insight into one of the fundamental... This is where I want to begin. We're going to deal with supernatural issues. But as we begin, I want to deal with the with the the frame the structure if you will the foundation upon which the supernatural rests and that is authenticity sometimes we can get so caught up in talking about thinking about the uh, the supernatural that we just can drift over into la la land and i i want to begin this whole series on the supernatural by talking about this, this sevenfold uh, secret of the supernatural, which is authenticity. I want to read just the first part of this, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Now Naaman, the captain of the army of the king of Aram, Aram, or you might say Syria. Now, now Naaman, the captain of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man before his master, the king and held favor because by him the Lord had given deliverance to Aram. He also was a mighty warrior, but he had leprosy. Put your hands on your Bible, if you will, and let's pray. Lord, with our hand upon the word, our hearts filled to overflowing with worship. Now we open our hearts and minds as fully as we know how to do. We're asking that you will speak to us, O Lord, in the deep recesses of our being, that when we leave here tonight, we will say, surely the Lord hath spoken unto us. In the mighty name, Jesus, the strong Son of God. Amen. Amen and amen. This, uh, this first of this cluster of stories in 2 Kings 5, 6, 7, and 8, the first concerns three principal people. There are other bit players, but the three principal people are a little slave girl, a, a Jewish slave girl, the prophet Elisha, who is central to all of these stories, and Naaman, a, a heathen, pagan, 
general from uh, the tribe of Aram, which is northern Syria. I tried to think of how to explain to who to the Arameans, the people of Aram. They're a, a highly warlike, violent tribe of northern Syria. There was a, a deep problem for Israel for many, many years, especially during the prophetic ministry of Elisha. They are, I don't think I'm stretching a point at all to say to you, they are like ISIS in Syria. So then I'm, if that is not a stretch, then it is not a stretch to bring the whole story into contemporaneity. And here it is. Imagine that one of the leading generals for ISIS comes down with leprosy. His, uh, in his household, there's a, a little child, a little girl, a slave girl that's been captured on a raid in Israel. It's a little Jewish slave girl, just a child. Can we even begin to imagine what she's gone through? Ripped from the bosom of her family, carried off in the, in the night, strapped across the back of a pack animal, sold like another animal, bought by this general. She's become a maid for his wife. This is in the house. We, these are not gentle people. These are not loving people. We have no idea what she's gone through. But her master, her owner, this violent, godless general, Naaman, has leprosy. And somehow this little girl finds the boldness. I've tried to, I've tried to go into this story. Do you ever do this with Bible stories where it, you can see it all, they almost look flat, like, like little plaster of Paris people with painted on eyes. Go into the heart of it. Go into the reality of this story. Here's a little girl who is chattel, a slave, a child who finds the boldness to go to her owner and say, if you would just go to Israel, if you will just find the prophet in Israel, Elisha, you can be healed of your leprosy. Now, I want you to think how awesome that is that she says that because Aram has been periodically defeating Israel. Here's the way pagans figure. If your God is so great, how come you're not winning? So he, he says to himself, if you're, if you're God, if, if Elisha the prophet can heal me of leprosy, how come you can't win the war? But he's dying with leprosy. He's got this horrible viral disease. He doesn't know how to get rid of it. It's humiliating. He's a general of the armies, but he's got this leprosy. Here's this little girl who's got nothing. And, and she says, if you would just go to Israel, where I come from, where you, from which you stole me. Now listen, she doesn't say, take me with you. She doesn't try to bargain for anything. If you'll let me free, if you'll set me free, if, if you'll, if you will repent of your slaveholding nightmare and violence, she just says, I know you can get healed. Underneath every genuine supernatural moment of God, somewhere in it, there is the first level of authenticity and it's authentic love. 
That's what I see in this little girl. I kept asking myself, what is her motivation? Is she hoping that he'll carry her back to Israel? Is she hoping that he'll be overcome with guilt? And then I realized this child is full of grace. The love of the God Jehovah dwells within her tiny little breast. And she says, I know what you've done to me. I know that you're a slaveholder. I know that you're my owner. I know that you captured me. But somehow she is filled with compassion for this mighty general, this violent man. And she says, I just want to see you healed. When we begin to even, as we even begin to talk about true supernatural power of God and the activity of God in our lives, it begins with this, an authentic love and faith for God. I'm so obvious in her love for this man who has done everything to destroy her life and she loves him still. Now there is a difference. Later on, we're going to be talking about supernatural mercy. But let's talk about supernatural grace. I'd like to give you a simple definition. It's kind of hair splitting, but I want to give you a definition for the difference, the distinction between grace and mercy. Grace gives what you do not deserve. Mercy withholds what you do deserve. So this child is operating in supernatural, authentic love and grace to be genuinely concerned that this one who has wounded her be healed and delivered of his affliction. I'm praying that in the next few weeks that we will have such a visitation of the supernatural that we will see signs and wonders and miracles. I'm believing God for it. But I, I believe that if we can say, God, fill us with love, with compassion, make us people of grace above all things. What is the number one motivation to want to see the, the sick healed? Is it just because we, we want to be razzled and dazzled with a miracle? No, it is because of our love and grace and compassion for those that are wounded. I, I, don't, I don't know a lot about supernatural healing. I, I, I've told you this before from this pulpit. I used to know a lot more about healing than I do. But what I've learned about healing has shrunk down to a a tiny little statement. But it's the ground and foundation of all supernatural healing. And here it is. Jesus loves sick folks. That's what I know about healing. And I can stand on that and I can pray for anybody anywhere in the world. If you think God peers through the bars of a prison cell at one, someone who has committed some horrible, violent crime and who is now broken and wounded and sick. And if you think Jesus peers through the bars of that prison cell and says, nani, nani, boo, boo. (laughs) Yeah, God, what's coming to you? If that's what you believe, then your Jesus is my devil. I believe this little girl somehow or another, rose above her own station of slavery and out of genuine love and compassion. I've searched this story. She's not trying to blackmail him or extort him or in any way manipulate him. She is genuinely concerned out of a compassionate love of a heart of love and grace. The first level 
of the sevenfold level of authentic supernatural is authentic love. Now, what about this guy, Naaman? What, is, what does he do? He goes to the king. He, if he takes off and goes on a, a, a mission trip, whatever it is, to Israel, without telling the king, the king may think he's a spy. The king may think he's a turncoat. So he goes to the king of Aram and he says, there's a prophet in Israel. One of my slaves says he can, he can heal me of this leprosy. So the king responds as politicians always do. This is so humorous to me. You read these stories at 3,000 years old and it looks like a right off of the front page of the New York Times. He sends an ambassador to the king of Israel and he says, I'm sending a general to you who's got leprosy and I want you to heal him. The king. So the king reads this email and he says, look, he's trying to pick a fight. He, what am I, God? I can't heal this guy and he knows I can't heal him. So he sends his general to me and says, heal him leprosy. When I don't do it, I know what he's going to do. He's going to attack us. Politicians. And Elisha comes into the courtroom and he says, your majesty, he's not talking about you. Send him to me. Send him to me. So Naaman comes to Israel and comes to Elisha the prophet. And Elisha sends his assistant out. He sends his assistant out. And his assistant says, the man of God says, go bathe in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be healed. And it flies all over Naaman. He says, that's it? That's it? Dunk seven times in the Jordan River and I'll be healed? And pride consumes him. He didn't even come out here. It says in, in the scripture, he says, I thought he'd come out and wave his hands or something. That's what it actually says. He wanted him to come and wave his hands. He wanted, you know, all kinds of things to happen, a big show, something. He said, aren't there any rivers? There are no rivers in Syria. If, I, if bathing would heal me, then are the rivers of the Jordan River, are they magic? What's that about? And pride just gets hold of him. He says, let's go. Everybody back in the bus. We've driven all the way to Israel for some idiot to send his associate pastor out here and tell me to go bathe seven times. Back in the bus. And somebody on his staff says, look, what will hurt you? What does it hurt you? Why don't you just, why don't you do it? Just bathe in the river seven times and, and if you're healed, you're healed. If you're not, we still get in the bus. Now, nothing worse, you're just wet. The second level of the, re of the release of authentic supernatural, of the, of the authentic supernatural, is authentic humility. It doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come easily to Naaman. He's a general. He's a big shot. He's a warrior. He's a, a man of violence and power. And to humble himself, he didn't even, he didn't even get to meet with the senior pastor. He said, that's it. 
Send your youth pastor out here and tell me to bathe seven times in a dirty river. But he humbles himself. Now, I want to say this to all of us. If we're going to experience a wave of the supernatural, it's going to come as we humble ourselves under the hand of Almighty God. As we say, Lord, we're not asking you for what we deserve. We're not asking for anything that we merit. We are humbling ourselves under your level of supernatural direction. Come, Holy Spirit, any way you want. Now, what, what goes wrong in seeking the supernatural touch of God is that we coop God up. We want, we, we lay down all these rules. We, and, and all of us tend to do it. Some do it very frankly and some do it subtly, but we do it. Lord, I believe you for this if you'll do this. Lord, I know you're a supernatural God. I know you're a supernatural God. If you'll make my husband behave, I'm going to believe you. <laughs> or pray like Amy McPherson used to. Either fill him or kill him. I don't care which one you want. <laughs> but we lay down all these rules. I believe God if this happens. I believe God if that happens. But sometimes we just, we want the supernatural to be explosive. We want this, come on, somebody has to come out and wave their hands around. But it, it's so small. This is small, it's simple. Wade out in the river and dunk yourself over seven times. But when it doesn't feel huge, we have a hard time accepting the small move of God that may be profoundly supernatural. How do we come to that kind of authentic humility under the direction of God? Exactly like Naaman did. At some point or another, our success and our pride and our leadership and our warrior nature come into contact and reality with our brokenness and our need, and the final result is humble obedience. Over and over and over again, I've confronted in my own life. Lord, let me do it. I can handle it. I can do it. Finally, come to the place, okay, Lord, I can't. I thought I could, I can't. Humility is always a factor uh, to one extent or another of brokenness and a confession of dependence. To obey commands that don't seem to make sense. It just didn't make any sense to him. The third is this. Consider Elisha himself. Authentic supernatural ministry uh, the the witness, the manifestation, the the outpouring of the supernatural is first of all through authentic love and grace, the child, authentic humility, the sick, and then Elisha himself, authentic ministry. There's no showbiz in this. He didn't even come out of the house in ministry as in all of life, all that glitters is not necessarily gold. You can put all the bling bling on it you want to. But if it's not real, if it's not real, it'll be of little effect. Elisha is not seeking the spotlight. He is not seeking profit and he's not play acting. He has a genuine, authentic word from God. 
bathe yourself seven times in the Jordan River. You know, you're not even going to come out here. I love, under why I'm so fascinated with that term where Naaman says, I thought he'd come out and wave his hands around. <laughs> Does that, is it tickle anybody but me? <laughs> Isn't that right? We just want somebody. Now, Elisha says, I'm not coming out. I'm not talking to you. I'm not negotiating with you and I'm not waving my hands. Obey or don't obey. It's up to you. But that there is a discipline here for Naaman, the leper. There is also a discipline here for Elisha, the prophet. It must have been a temptation to go out there and have a little showbiz. Authentic love, authentic humility, broken obedience, and authentic ministry. And the fourth is this. Authentic integrity. When Naaman is healed, that's supernatural. He is healed. And he, he says, all right, everybody back in the bus. They drive back to Elisha's house and he says, Gehazi, the, the assistant, comes out. And he says, I'm going to give him gold. I'm going to give him silver. I'm going to buy him heart Schaffner marks, suits, hand-sewn Italian loafers that started about 495 bucks a pair. I'm, I will take care of the man. And Gehazi says, this sounds really good. Wait right here. He goes in and he says, Elisha, <laughs> he's talking gold, silver, suits. This is looking good. And Elisha says, I'm not taking one penny from that Syrian leper. You go out and tell him, I don't want anything. I don't want anything he's got. The only thing I did for him, I only told him what God told me to tell him. I didn't touch him. I didn't heal him. I'm not in this story. This is between Naaman and God. Go in there and tell him I didn't. I don't want anything. So Gehazi goes out and he says, he doesn't want anything from you. Naaman said, doesn't want anything? Nothing. He says, load your stuff up and leave. So they do. They're driving off. And Gehazi checks where Elisha is. He's gone in the kitchen. He runs back out to the bus. He says, you know, my master changed his mind. And it's the strangest thing. His suit size is the same as mine. He said, not only that, he changed his mind about that goal too. You know, man of God, he'll change his mind. And so Naaman doesn't care. He says, great, here, take this, take this, take this, take this. Gehazi takes it in his room, hides it under the bed. Now listen, can I just say something to you? If you don't hear anything else all night, will you hear this? The guy that can speak a word and heal leprosy may know whether or not you're cheating. <laughs> you don't want to draw on Wyatt Earp. You understand what I'm saying? So Elisha calls him in and says, did you, you took that stuff. You took that stuff. He says, if you want what Naaman had, you can have everything he had. And uh, Gehazi comes down with leprosy. Now, you see, this is a very important point. When we start talking about, and I hear it in the church, Lord, we just want a supernatural. We want the supernatural. We want the supernatural. I also want the supernatural. Is it supernatural when the dead are raised to life? Is that supernatural? 
No, that's not a trick question. <laughs> is it supernatural when the dead are raised to life? Yes, it is, isn't it? <laughs> but was it supernatural when Ananias and Sapphira lied about the offering and God struck them dead? Is that supernatural? People say, Lord, we want this. Well, you know, whatever you think. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Do, can you hear what I'm saying? I'm saying when we start to talk about seeking the supernatural and to move in the realm of the supernatural, our greatest protection is integrity. We, we can't monkey around with it. We can't toy with it. Now, do not, do not misunderstand one word I'm saying. Listen, there, I, I'm a big believer in the scriptural statement that you should not muzzle the ox. <laughs> I'm a big believer in that. And I get paid plenty. Jesus is taking care of Brother Mark. What I'm saying is that when it moves from that to out-and-out out greed as a result of capitalizing on the supernatural work of God, you just step over a line. I don't know where that line is. I can't paint that line. Everybody wants to know rules. Is it, is it, is it okay for you to get paid this? Can you have that? Can you have that? That's not what I'm talking. This is a matter of the heart. There's some place. There's some place here. And the contrast between Elisha's, the guy that has faith that leprosy can be healed also has faith that God is my source and not some Syrian heathen. Authentic love and grace, authentic humility, authentic ministry, authentic integrity. Now, when the Syrians attack later on, no, no, this is something that's very important. These same people attack, not under the, not under the leadership of Naaman, but under Ben Haddad, but it's the same army. Now, listen, I, I want to say this to you. I believe in miracles. I'm believing God for miracles. But I do want to say this to you. Everybody thinks, not everybody, many people think, if I just get this miracle, it'll change everything. But I do want to say to you that God can send miracles to people who will not hear them, will not understand them, may receive them, walk in them, and it doesn't change anything. I knew a man that was healed miraculously in the first church I pastored. Went to a Catherine Kuhlman crusade. He was sitting up in the balcony. He had a lifetime struggle with alcohol. And she called him out from the back row and she said, God wants to heal you. And God healed him immediately of cirrhosis of the liver and he refused to stop drinking. So I, I just always like to say this one thing. I believe in miracles. I'm going to believe with you for miracles. We're going to believe for the outpouring of the supernatural. But the, the Syrians received this miraculous. This guy came back to Syria healed. Healed. So what's their response for that? I know what let's do. Let's attack Israel. So I just need to say that to you. Yes, I believe in miracles. Miracles may not cause everything to be hunky-dory immediately. They cause what they cause. So they attack. Elisha is in his room, and the servant says, we're surrounded. Elisha 
gets up and looks out the window and he says, oh, it's okay. The servant says, well, this crazy old coot. He says, you know, look, are you so old that you can't see we're surrounded? We are surrounded. They're like lots of them. And Elisha says, oh, you mean them? Oh, yeah, yeah, I see them. But there's more of us than there is of them. And the servant says, you mean like both of us? <laughs> both of us, the crazy old guy and me, we're more than them. He says, no, no, all the angels, all these angels. This, he said, they don't stand a chance. They don't stand a chance. The next thing that brings in, ushers in the platform on which the supernatural stands is authentic faith. The story of the ability of Elisha to see the angels and the inability at first of the servant is to contrast true and false sight as faith. Faith, faith is not manufactured. Faith is not whipped up. You, you can't, you can't just decide that there's a yard full of angels. But when God gives you that authentic eyesight, when God gives you that authentic moment, that real faith, it's there. You see it. The window opens and it's there. It's real. You, you, you'll be amazed how calm you feel. You think that you'll go off like a $2 skyrocket. Man, look at those angels. And it's, it's not like that. You say, well, we're okay. Everything's going to be fine. I've been in moments that were so terrifying overseas that, that I mean, I, th I thought my heart was melting in my chest. And when the supernatural moment of God shows up, there is a calmness. There's a rest. There's a peace that just rests on you. And it's, it's supernatural. Elisha says there are more of us than there are them. And the boy says, you know, <laughs> pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm like not seeing it. And Elisha says, I know you're not seeing it. And lays his hand on the boy and says, Lord, open his eyes. Now that's what I'm going to believe that God will open our eyes to see his supernatural power, that we will see it, that we'll walk in it. Open his eyes. Now, it is not simply a contrast. This story is not simply a contrast between true eyesight of faith and the natural eyesight. It is also a further contrast. The story is about sight. Do you see this? Elisha can see the angels. The servant can't. Elisha prays. The servant can. The soldiers can see. Elisha prays, Lord, strike them all blind, and now they can't. The whole thing is a contrast of sight. In other words, God is making a statement. Sometimes when you think you can see, you can't. When you feel like you can't see, I will open your eyes. The whole thing is talking about the, the level of the supernatural. So he's this whole army that is struck blind. And Elisha goes out to them. Someday I hope to get to meet Elisha. He was a card. This is, he goes out to this army and he says, follow me, I'll help you. Follow me, everybody follow me. So all these blind soldiers put one arm in you and they're all following you. Elisha says, this way, 
come on this way, this way. <laughs> he leads them into the city, into the, into the capital of Israel. And then he says, now, Lord, help them to see. <laughs> and they open their eyes and say, oh, <laughs> this is bad. Am I the only one? Is this funny? <laughs> Sometimes I feel like God has a sense of humor and we're not like not getting it. I mean, can you see? God, here's these soldiers that are all there with their weapons. God strikes them blind. The prophet leads them into downtown Samaria and God turns to the angels and says, watch this. <laughs> it's going to be so funny. I really do. I believe that. And they open their eyes. Now listen to this. And when they open their eyes and they're there and the king of Israel realizes he's got the whole Syrian army captive, he says, shall we kill them? Shall we kill them? And Elisha says, did you capture them? Or did God capture them? Did you strike them blind, lead them in here and give them back their eyesight? Did you do all that? King said, well, no, I didn't do all that. He said, then you don't get to kill them. If you didn't capture them, you don't get to kill them. He said, what should we do with them? He said, feed them, set out a banquet, and let them go home. In other words, after authentic love and authentic humility and authentic ministry and authentic integrity and authentic faith, there comes authentic mercy. The gratitude and humility at what God is doing supernaturally keeps us from running a victory lap. When God shows up, we don't get to, we don't get to spike our Bibles in the end zone. You understand what I'm saying? We humbly and sweetly operate in, in mercy toward those who are in need. Remember what I said? Grace gives that which is not deserved. Mercy withholds that which is deserved. These guys all deserve to die. He withholds that. At the heart of Jesus' most supernatural moments, there's mercy. Remember when he, he heals the man by the pool at Bethesda? You, you remember the story? The man is lame years and years and years. And there's this folk story that an angel will come in the water and trouble the waters. And that if, if he can get in the water first, you'll be healed. And he, he says, look, I'm, I'm so infirm. I can't even, I can't even get in the water. Somebody beats me in every time. And Jesus heals him. Bethesda is an anglicized version of two Hebrew words. Beit chesed. Beit chesed. Bethesda, we say, but it's Beit Hesed, the house of mercy. You know who, you know who gets supernatural miracles? People that need them. So if we're going to start saying over the next few weeks, we're going to believe God for the supernatural, then we, we have to be merciful to those people who come in here who need supernatural miracles. We're going to have to live in mercy toward them. We don't, we don't get to kill anybody we didn't capture. And then finally, there, there is authentic prophecy. Authentic prophecy. The Syrians come back yet again. 
the Arameans, they surround Samaria, starvation in the city, cannibalism, it's a nightmare. And Elisha says, by this time tomorrow, the food will be so plentiful that you get a bushel of wheat for a penny. And there's a soldier standing there and says, listen, listen to me, don't, don't mock God. That's like a mistake. That's a mistake. Even, even if you're, you know, if it sounds a little funny to you, keep your mouth shut. He says, oh, yeah, right. That's going to, it said, if that, he said, if God dropped wheat out of heaven, that couldn't happen. Was God just going to bombard us with bananas? We're starving. How's this going to happen? And Elisha says, it is going to happen, but you won't live to see it. <laughs> see, Elisha's not playing church. He's like a, a real prophet, see? It's easy to stand up on a platform and, you know, raise your hand, wave your arm and say, thus saith the Lord. It's another thing to hear the real word of God. It will happen. And of course, God works this supernatural miracle. You remember the story. He causes the sound of an army. The, the Syrians flee. They don't even get in their jeeps. They just drop their guns and run for it. And everything belongs. All that they've brought with them, all the loot, all the food, all the, all their ordinance, everything belongs to the Israelis. And there's so much food that nobody will pay for it. But there's a stampede to get it all. And they trample the soldier to who said it wouldn't happen. Now, then there is this story uh, of this murder. Again, I just want to give you this before we close. If you'll stay with me just a couple of more moments in talking about authentic prophecy. The king of Syria is now dying. And Elisha, the Israeli Jewish prophet, goes to Damascus, the capital of Syria, and says to the, to the king, you're not going to die of this disease. You're not going to die of this disease. King says, oh, thank you. Thank you. But you have to listen to the words of prophecy. Did he say he wasn't going to die? He just said, you're not going to die of this disease. As he comes out of the room, he meets another man. And when he sees him, he bursts into tears. And the guy says, what's the matter with you? He says, I, I'm... I'm horrified at what you're going to do to the people of Israel. You're going to kill people. You're going to slaughter people. It's even graphic. He says, you're going to rip open the bellies of pregnant women. You're going to do these horrible things to the people of Israel. And the guy says, what are you talking about? He even, he even says, am I, a, am I a dead dog that I would do these kind of things? He says, you will do these things. Because when you're the king... You'll attack and slaughter Israel. And so that guy goes in where the king has been supernaturally healed of his disease, and he wets a blanket with water and holds it over his face and smothers it. So he doesn't die of the disease, does he? That prophecy was correct. Now, here's what I'm trying to say. In, super, in, in seeking and believing and asking God, God, have your way. Do anything, everything you want. 
Never, ever, ever tidy it up. Never, never put lace on it. Never change it. Never doctor it. Never add to it. Never subtract from it. Mary said to the attendants at the wedding at Cana of Galilee, whatsoever he saith unto thee, do it. She didn't say anything. Don't do anything else. Whatsoever he saith unto thee, do it. Just that. What I'm trying to say is we can't fake it. We can't fake it. We can't twist it. We can't turn it. We can't drive it. We can't cause it. We can't tamper with it. We can't, we can't torture it till it says what we want it to say. I believe that one of the most sobering things in the world is to, that when, when we say, thus saith the Lord, the Lord has said to me, the Lord told me, I've got to tell you something. I'm not rebuking anybody. I'm just saying, I find that in the charismatic, the broader charismatic and Pentecostal world, the spirit-filled world, we toss that stuff around way too easily. And, and I'm just saying that when we start to enter into the realm of the supernatural, the Lord revealed to me, God spoke to me, God said, I heard, those things become extremely serious. When God says them and it's authentic and it's ministered with integrity, it will come to pass. Now, in the Old Testament, see, we, don't, we, we, we don't really have a good mechanism for holding people accountable for false prophecy. In the Old Testament, they stone false prophets. I'm not, I'm not saying we ought to do that. I would say this. We wouldn't have to stone but two. And it would calm a bunch of people down. I mean, stand up in the balcony and say, thus said the... Well, never mind. I don't know what I was thinking. But, but what I am saying is that... I'm not talking about stoning anybody to death, but I am saying that, that if we're going to treat this with integrity, we don't, we don't have to, we don't have to, we're not whirling dervishes. We don't have to whip ourselves into a supernatural pitch. We're going to hear authentic word from God. We're going to respond with genuine humility and obedience. We're going to pray for the sick and the wounded and the hurt in faith and mercy. We're going to believe God for a baptism of love and genuine grace that can make the slave be burdened for her master's good. And we will ask him, O oh Lord, lead us into the, into the highest levels of authentic ministry. And then, O oh Lord of miracles, smile on us, not because we deserve it, but because we need it. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at Dr. Mark Rutland or visit his website, drmarkrutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook.